So, I was just saying that we honor Rudy and Steve, and uh, we're very grateful for what uh, they are doing, and uh, just uh, carry on. God needs lights all over the world, and for some of us, that means just being a little match that's been lit, and for others, that means becoming a torch, and for others, that means becoming a bonfire. But God needs everyone, just like he has them prepared at that time, to serve as, as the need is where they are. And that goes for, for each of us. And uh, it's, it's uh, wonderful to hear how God is lighting things up all over the world. And we're a part of it. We're connected to it. So thank you guys for, for your service. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Open our hearts and our minds. And may we receive from you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm just going to have a short talk this morning, uh, and we're going to continue on through Leviticus. We've covered the first seven chapters of Leviticus, dealing with the sacrifices to, uh, to offer, chapters 8 through 10. Last week we talked about priests being set aside for service to God and got into Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons. If you remember what we're talking about, it's the book of Leviticus. The Levites, right? Levi was a son of Israel and the one through whom the priestly line would come. And then specifically Aaron uh, was the high priest and his sons were to follow him. And Nadab and Abihu were his sons who offered something that wasn't right and perhaps did something really bad. We don't know the details for sure. And, and we finished up last week talking about them and their uh, situation before God. Now we move into chapters 11 through 15 where we talk about ritual purity. Before we get going with that, let me just ask you, do you eat weird stuff? Or does your family have a practice of eating weird stuff? Well, it's going to vary depending on uh, what you think is weird. Rocky and Lori tried to introduce me to something, or at least... uh, I don't know if they were trying to get me to do it, but they have offered me or, or given me the opportunity to, to eat something. I think it's called manua. Is that what it is? Manudo. Manudo. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, y'all know what that is? Yeah? Okay, a lot of you know about it. I never knew about this before Rocky and Lori told me about it. Cow's stomach. I'm not interested. Now, I realize that may be a delicacy to you, but it, it's uh, not to me. That's not my culture or my background. We don't eat the cow's stomach. Uh, that's just never been something that my people put before me. And I could be tempted to say, yeah, you know, that's kind of that's weird. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. But then you come to Louisiana, and we start taking these crustaceans and ripping them apart called crawfish and tearing out the tearing out the tail and some of us we even suck the heads and I imagine some of you <laughs> brother Charles knows about it. he's from Louisiana yeah and he know he knows what it's like uh, and it's delicious but for some of you it's gross and you think I wouldn't have anything to do with that but imagine then you say well I would never eat crawfish that just seems weird that seems strange to me imagine though if you said I wouldn't eat crawfish and God's people never eat crawfish it's unholy if you eat crawfish. You're unclean. You're unclean if you eat crawfish. 
and you would be separated from God, separated from the tabernacle or something, if you ate crawfish. You couldn't come to church, let's say, if you ate crawfish. Now you see you're living in a little bit different world. We're, we're inhabiting a different orbit when we start to think of food in that way. And this kind of gets us thinking, what would it be like to live in the world of Leviticus, where food actually didn't just, it wasn't just about our taste or what we like to, to take in, but it, it said something about our relationship with God and with other people. And these are ritual purity laws that we're getting into. And the first of those we encounter in chapter 11 is the food laws, where we start getting all these things that you can and cannot eat. I've got bad news for you. Right off the bat, you find out in chapter 11 that you can't have the camel. I'm sorry. Cut it out, you guys. If you're eating the camel, you can't have it anymore. Good news is you can still have uh, crickets and grasshoppers. So uh, ca carry on, uh, those of you who, who want that. Uh, you read, let's just, let's just read just a little bit here, uh, and then we'll comment some more. Starting out in chapter 11, we're, we're going to have to do a lot of generalizing and summarizing here. But we'll read just a, a few clips from this large portion of Scripture. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Now we're getting a new rubric for this section of material. You'll read over and over again throughout chapters 11 through 15. God spoke to Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron. Aaron is brought into the conversation perhaps because this is about the Levitical purity laws, about what they're supposed to be doing. The, the priesthood was going to come through Aaron. And he says to them, speak to the people of Israel, saying, these are the living things that you may eat among the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof, okay, you got two parts of the hoof, not like a horse or I guess a camel, but you've got these, these two parts of the hoof. You parts the hoof, it's cloven-footed, and it chews the cud. You know what cud is? It's like regurgitated, something, something that's been, been eaten and regurgitated. And uh, cows will do this. They'll, they'll chew the cud. Now, I, I don't think it, it means that literally so much as, as the text is meaning uh, animals that sort of chew their food slowly. They ruminate on their food, something along those lines. But he said if, if it chews the cud and its foot is cloven, it, its, its hoof is cloven, then you can, uh, then you can eat that. But among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these, the camel, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof. It's unclean. So, so it doesn't fit the category. The rock badger, stay off of that. The hare, the pig, of course we know that one. Uh, you shall not eat any of those flesh. Then you get into the, the fish. Basically, I believe it's if it, has, uh, if it has fins and scales, you eat it, right? If it doesn't, you don't eat it. And what, what you're seeing is... I think what it's getting at is a, an idea of normalcy. What's considered to be normal, uh, I'll see if I can make a little bit more sense of this for you in just a second, but if it's considered to be normal, then you can eat it. If it's considered to be, in some sense, uh, according to, to what, we, what they might have thought would be the normal pattern of creation or, or related to the, the food that God approves, that, uh, then you can, you can take this in. Um, and that may be reflective of the idea that, that 
this ritual holiness is meant to communicate something of uh, something related to our moral holiness. And so as we're set aside ritually to eat the things that are considered normal, we're reminded that we are people who follow the norms of moral and spiritual cleanness and holiness. And that's, that's the point I want to I get out before us right at the outset, is that these are not just random rules that God put out there to say, now let's see if you'll do that. What if I said, don't eat that? Would you do it? These are things that we may not always understand it, what's in the background, but, but these are symbolic things, and they, and they mean something to these people representative of this very special life that they have, a life where God has come to dwell with his people. And so we need to just stop and ask why. It's okay to ask that, by the way. You know that? It's okay to ask why God says to do something. We may eventually arrive at a place where we say, we just don't know, and we'll be obedient even though we don't know. But it's okay for us to want to know why, because God's not the kind of God who generally just says, I just want to make people jump through hoops, especially not for Christians, where Jesus says, I have called you my friends. We're meant to be people who can understand. God works through our minds intelligibly and directs us intelligibly. And so it's okay for us to say, why would God do this? And there's a very simple explanation that might need a lot more expansion, but very simply it's put out before us for the first time in chapter 11. I'm going to move. Oh, yeah, there it is. Hold on. Let me go back to that. Chapter 11, verses 48, 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Holy, in its essence, involves being set apart for God's service. For us, at least. In some sense, we're set aside as special because because of God. Now, it may involve even more than that, or at least be related to things such as wholeness, completeness, conformity to God's created order. But at a minimum, we can say that holiness is being set apart for God. And God says to his people, you be holy because I am holy. But you know what? There's a missing premise there. There's a missing premise because it doesn't necessarily just follow I should be holy because God is holy if I don't have any other information. For example, if you came up to me today, I can mention this. If you said to me, Luke, you be a surgeon because Steve is a surgeon. I don't know if Rudy's going to let me come and operate on people. At least not right now. Probably not ever. Probably not ever. Because just because Steve's a surgeon doesn't necessarily mean I should be a surgeon, right? Luke, you be a professional football player because Dak Prescott is a professional football player. Well, I don't care what Dak Prescott is. (laughs) Why should I be a professional football player? Because Dak Prescott is. See, the missing premise here that is assumed that we already encountered last week when we talked about the tabernacle or talked about the priest, is that God has come to dwell with these people. 
God has identified himself with these people. God has said, you will be my people, and I will be your God. And you will be my priest in the world. In one sense, all the people meant to be priests. Remember how we saw that in Exodus chapter 19. And because of that great honor and privilege then, because we are God's people, then we say, who is he? Then who are we? This is about our identity as the people of God. And so we're holy. We're set apart because God is set apart in holiness. And these rituals and these laws, they remind them They remind the people that they belong to a holy God and they're expected to live in a way that's set apart. They're expected to live in a way that's morally pure. They they remind them that they're people who experience the grace of God. These are not just a bunch of heavy lifting things that are put on people so that their life will be difficult. These are things that remind them of their identity as God's set apart people and that's reflected then in all parts of their lives down to what they eat. Let me show you a couple of slides here. So this is the way things divided up. I've adapted this from a book by Michael Morales. There were things that were holy, and then everything else is common. But among the common things, you had things that divided into what's clean and what's unclean. Some things were permanently unclean, like certain kinds of animals. And I don't think you could do anything about that. You know? Some things were, were temporarily unclean, like a human being could become temporarily unclean by various Activities, various things that happen. Touching a dead body would make you unclean. Touching the carcass of a dead animal would make you unclean. Bodily uh, discharges, you get into that in chapter 15. Those kind of things make you unclean. It's not making you sinful. And we need to be very clear about that. Now, there is a a moral uncleanness. But these kind of things that show up uh, listed here, generally they're not sinful things. They're just ways of marking off separations and reminding the people that they're called to a certain kind of cleanness. They're called to a spiritual cleanness. They're called to a moral cleanness. And that is represented in the way they are separate, separate from certain things. And then we want to say, well, let me show you one more slide here. So if you had an arrow down at the bottom pointing up, you would ascend from the clean, unclean to the clean to the holy. And, the, and we have it with humanity. You have the nations, the Gentiles. Then Israel is the clean, the unclean Gentiles. Israel is clean, and Gentiles, if they wanted to be clean, would need to uh, be converted in some sense to enter the covenant. And then, of course, even beyond that, although all the people of Israel in one sense is holy, you have a special kind of holiness set aside for the priests who were to go into the tabernacle and minister closer, more closely to God's presence. And then that's reflected in the animals and in space. You have less sacred space. You have less clean animals. But if you have, let's say, uh, a clean animal and you want it to be offered as a sacrifice, well, you set it apart. And that clean animal... That unblemished animal, it becomes holy as it's set apart to be sacrificed. So that's just to help you maybe get a, get a little bit of a visualization of what's going on in these chapters and in the other places in the Old Testament where you could, you could see what's happening uh, with the clean, clean, the unclean, the holy, and the unholy. You're dealing with these categories that can be violated both physically, ritually, and morally, spiritually. 
and the physical and ritual is meant to remind us of who we are morally and spiritually. I'm going to just very briefly, I'm going to very briefly uh, talk about why this is and then, then just bring us to a close, okay? So we, 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 I've already touched on this. Why does God have these rules in place about ritual purity? And one of those things is, is certainly related to, to what's uh, normal, what's whole, what, but one of the things that, that maybe explain why, or let, let, me, let me back up. I'm, I'm not saying this well. We're saying why are there ritual purity laws? And we're saying, well, it's because God wants his people to be holy. Right? He wants us to be set apart. But then we ask a further question of why these things set apart in this way? And we may not be able to answer that question with complete clarity. But we do have some ideas, okay, of why it might be. And one may be just, just the basic issue of people need to be distinct. God wanted people to, it's like wearing a jersey, you know. Who's on whose team? Well, you know, that could be, when we have no other explanation, we can go with that one. Right? God just needed to separate his people out, and this is the way to do it. And alongside that, we might say some things have a pagan origin, and God wanted his people to be separate from, from pagan type things. For example, pigs were used in, in pagan sacrifices uh, or were associated with, with paganism in some way. So, so that may be one of the reasons why we, you have these rules against eating pigs. That can be part of it. But one of, if not the central thing that scholars suppose stands behind these purity rules is the idea of death, life and death. And, and the basic idea is God is life. You get close to God, you're getting close to life. Death is not God's thing. And so things that are dead and associated with death, we stay away from those, or, they, or at least if we're involved in them, they represent something that doesn't come close to God's presence. Death and life may explain, and then alongside that, order and chaos. Uh, life and, and order connected, death and chaos connected. God in creation brought life and order from chaos. You have both morality and mortality that are connected to this ritual purity. Neither sin nor death can come into God's presence. And this teaches us about who God is. He is life and moral goodness and rightness. And so we keep things such as sin and death out of his presence. And this may explain, again, there are different ways people try to explain these things, but this may explain a lot of what you read in uh, these chapters about purification. For example, childbirth. You get into chapter 12. I'm not going to take the time to read these things, but, but I hope you are, you are reading up on these things as we go through the chapters. Chapter 12 uh, talks about a woman becoming uh, unclean because of childbirth. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that is God giving children, right? It's not sin, but they're still uncleanness. Why is that? Well, it may have to do with the loss of blood. It could have to do with the fact that the infant mortality rate in antiquity was something like 40%, so you're getting close to death. Uh, so much blood representing life or something, something like that. 
You have these rules about uncleanness connected to sexual activity. You go to chapter 15 and you read about bodily discharges and sexual activity and you're unclean through that. Again, in the right context, there's nothing wrong with that. But it makes you unclean and it could have to do with the the relatedness to these things, to the process of life to the creation of life, to the birth of life, and those kind of things. And when certain uh, things happen that represent death or the loss of life-giving properties, well, then that makes you unclean. And frankly, this is awkward for me to talk about. <laughs> I'm trying to get through it in a way that respects everyone here. <laughs> so you have these things like uh, skin disease rituals. Chapters 13 to 14 is all about Uh, what you do if there are skin diseases. And it may be that the skin, either in its appearance, as it turned white and flaky, may have represented, looked like something like death, or may have even been a part of the process of decay that you would see fully in a decaying body. And so these skin diseases have to be taken very seriously as they reflect death. Death doesn't come into God's presence. God is holy. God is life. So that's, that's just a partial explanation, of course, You could think about things like perfection and imperfection, bring only perfect things. Imperfection, perhaps because it is a result of sin in our world, needs to be guarded against. And and, and then there, as a minority explanation for some of these things, hygiene may be a rule uh, for for some of what you're getting into with these, these, or maybe an explanation for some of the rules that you're getting into in these chapters. So so that's just an attempt to explain. I'm skipping over a little bit of stuff here. I, I want to come down as I close to just talking about what this means for us. And here's what I want you to think about, okay? We talked about in Exodus 19 how God, God wanted to have a holy people. He wanted to have a, a priesthood, uh, you know, the whole people as a priesthood. Now, not in the technical sense because some of those were set apart to serve as priests. But then beyond that, the whole people set apart to serve as priests, to the nations, representing God, mediating God to the nations. And we talked about what an incredible thing it was that God said, I want to come and live with you. I want to come and dwell with you. You will be my people. And I'm not just going to get you out of Egypt and say, now, go for it. Go get the world. That's not what he did. I'm not even going to get you out and then give you a law or give you a book to read and say, now go. That's not what he does. What he says is, I am going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to teach you how to live. And I am going to come and live right there with you so you be holy now. And then what they did was, and what you see in these rules that sometimes wear us out in chapters 11 through 15, you see these rules identifying all these areas of life that were meant to reflect you are a holy people. What you eat, what you touch, all kinds of areas of your life, say you belong to God. Do you know that there's a difference in be righteous and be holy? Well, in, in one sense, now I'm not sure exactly how far you can go with this, but in one sense you can at least try to be righteous with no reference to God. If you're in a dispute in a courtroom with somebody over a property that you think it belongs to you and shouldn't belong to somebody else you can be in the right you know and the other person in the wrong it doesn't matter what you think about God in that setting 
And we're called to be righteous because God is righteous. Don't misunderstand me. But that's a little bit of a different thing than being called to be holy. To be holy is to have your life constantly referencing God. And to seek to be righteous because you are holy. To seek to be righteous because you are in a relationship with God. All of this is meant to tell us we are God's people. God has said he would dwell among us. He has said, I want my life to be so connected to your life that everything's going to center on that. So you be holy now. Because I am holy. They weren't set apart for the sake of being different. They were set apart for the sake of belonging to God and representing him in the world. Here's my concern for the church today. We have ditched all the ritual purity, rightly so, and we could talk about the New Testament reasons for doing that. We've ditched all the ritual purity. My concern is, at the same time, we may have ditched an understanding of what it means to truly be holy. that we have a self-understanding as the church. The most fundamental thing in our life is the presence of a holy God. That God has said, I want to dwell with you. Now, think about how you're going to live. And all of life goes different because of that one unfathomable reality. You live a different kind of life because I am your God. And I want to be close to you. Today, we look at statistics that indicate the divorce rate among Christians is not much different than non-Christians. Scandals among Christian leaders resemble scandals among our politicians. People have, Christians have passionate opinions about everything from sports to politics, and they can't tell you the basic beliefs of the Christian faith. And you look around and think, what happened to the idea that we are God's people? And that's the most important reality about us. That's our identity. Nothing matters compared to that. And if we need to start eating a bunch of funny food to remember that, then let's start eating a bunch of funny food or not eating other foods. Because right? we got to remember that. I don't think we do, okay? You know, I don't think we have to do that. But I'll tell you what, we'd be better off if we were keeping ritual purity laws and remembering that the holy God dwells with us than to be in a situation where we're free from ritual purity laws and we forget that God is close. And that our life is meant to be his. Be holy because God, I'm trying to lean down and talk to this thing. Be holy because God is holy. I want to finish by just putting a scripture up for you and I'm not going to take any time with this except to, well, I've 
I've completely lost it. Um, oh, there it is, right there. Okay. Here's the Apostle Paul writing in the New Testament, drawing on these same ideas. And let's, let's, let's finish with this scripture. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? You see, your righteousness, your light, that's why you stay out of the darkness. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer have with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now think about this, okay? We're dealing with the tabernacle in Leviticus. Eventually you get that transitioning over to the temple. But it's the most holy place. It's God's presence. And the one thing you never dream of doing is putting an idol where the presence of God is. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And then we get this incredible statement, for we are the temple of the living God. As God, has, God said, I will make my dwelling among them. That's a quote from Leviticus right there. 26, chapter 26, I think. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I want, you to, I want you to hear that before we get to Paul's conclusion. He says, go out, don't touch any unclean thing. And here we're going to think about what's unclean, not in terms of ritual purity, as we've been freed from that in the New Testament, but in terms of moral purity, lay aside what's unclean. And listen to what he says, I will welcome you. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. Paul understood what incredible promises these were, and that's why these were, and that's why he finishes here. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let me ask you today: What is it you need to cleanse yourself of? God has decided to be a father to you. And you and I can be now his sons and daughters. He said, I will walk among you. I'll dwell with you. I'll welcome you. It's in light of those promises. It's not in light of the fact that you want to be just a good person so you want to try harder. It's in light of the fact that God has made promises. of What he will do. What he has done and what he wants to continue to do. Okay, what does it mean now to be holy before that holy God? What does it mean to think of yourself as the temple of God? Are there idols today that need to be cleared out from your heart? Are there practices of your life today you need to put on the altar and say, okay, that's done with now because I know who I am. I know that my calling is to be holy because I serve a holy God. And this God has come close to be with me and to be with us. Praise team, would you guys please uh, come on back up?
And as you come to the table this morning, as you listen to this song, and as you come to the table, you come, please, and uh, consider before the Lord what it means to be holy because he is holy. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this high calling. Cleanse us, Lord, and make us clean. Lord, we want to hear in a new way that you welcome us, that you want to be a father to us. Lord, thank you for your holiness. You are set apart above all. Make us holy now, too. In Jesus' name, amen.